Thanks, Paul. I've never been called a food bank pastor before. Normally, food bank and pasta go together. Please don't give us pasta. We have a lot of pasta. Um, that's great. Today, I'm a pastor. Brilliant. Um, really good to be here. I've got to say that um, I can't wait for Christmas. Did you know that it's just 28 days from now, and it's going to be Christmas Day, four weeks from today, on a Sunday this year. It's Christmas Day. Um, if you work in months, that's one month. Um, and uh, we're waiting, aren't we? We're waiting for Christmas. And um, waiting can be quite difficult, uh, particularly if you're uh, quite young and small. We're going to watch a short video clip of uh, a Channel 4 program called The Secret Life of Five-Year-Olds, where some five-year-olds were asked to wait before eating a chocolate cake. Let's see how they got on. Oh, I didn't eat it. The girls managed to resist temptation and leave the cake alone. Now for the boys. What is that for? This is just um, Olive's cake for later, okay? So I've just got, I've got to leave it there. Uh, uh, no, it's Olive's cake for later. Leave it as it is. So in that sort of situation, what you really need to do is to get away from the source of the temptation, and some boys did that. What Alfie did was the worst thing possible, which is to sit himself over the cake and, and smell it and look at it. This makes my mouth water. That looks yummy. I love chocolate. Uh, it smells chocolate. I love yum. Smell the cake. Smell the cake. Oh. Smell the oh. cake. Oh, he's eating it. No, I'm just choking. I just took an egg, that's all. <laughs> that's how it starts though, mate. <laughs> Shall we lick the top? Shall we that? Oh my gosh! <laughs> Yum, Touching the cake or altering its appearance in any way is treated with moral outrage by our group of boys, but licking it isn't. And I think this tells us something really important about their moral world. They don't care about doing wrong, but they do care about getting caught. Ah, oh, poor boys. I feel sorry for the boys. They were sort of set up, weren't they? That was an experiment. Uh, earlier on, the girls passed, but the boys didn't. But um. But it's true, isn't it? Waiting can be difficult. Um, and today is Advent Sunday. And as Paul said just now, that, that word Advent means coming. And we're waiting for the coming King. It's our theme uh, for this Christmas. And Jesus is the coming King. Spoiler alert, I just, uh, I just gave you the answer. Jesus is the coming King. Uh, we're going to be looking um, at the first few chapters of Luke's Gospel. Uh, and on page 1025 in the Bibles, we're going to read from that in just a minute. Uh, and the story that we'll pick up begins uh, with a priest called Zechariah. He was married to a lady called Elizabeth. And they've been waiting uh, a long time for a child. And we're told that they're both advanced in years and actually that Elizabeth is barren. They'd probably just about given up hope after years and years of praying for a baby. 
But then one day, just as Zechariah is going about his priestly business, and we're told that the way that they divvied up the jobs between the priests in the temple was that they cast lots. Uh, I wasn't sure if that was perhaps how I ended up on the preaching rotor for today. Um, I think we do things differently here. It's much more, it's much more spiritual or something. But um, he's going about his ordinary business. His job on that day is to go and uh, light the incense in the temple. So he goes in to do that. And in that moment, just before he lights it, he, an angel appears to him. So Luke chapter 1, I'll start to read at verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And we'll leave the story there for now. So for Zechariah, this priest, and his wife Elizabeth, the waiting was over. All of a sudden, God moved, and good news was released in their lives. Their son was John the Baptist, who played a vital role in preparing the hearts of people, paving the way for Jesus, who came just a few months later. John the Baptist prepared the people. He made them ready for God. He turned the hearts of the parents back to their children, the hearts of the disobedient to the mindset of justice and goodness. If we were to read on from verse 26, we'd then hear about another very similar encounter. The same angel, Gabriel, is then sent to Nazareth to a young girl called Mary, who is engaged to get married to a carpenter called Joseph. 
The story's probably sounding quite familiar to you at this point. Mary's told that despite the technicality of her being a virgin, she has, in verse 31, found favor with God and will be with child and will give birth to a son. She's to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And so the birth of Jesus, the Son of God, is foretold and very, very quickly becomes a reality with Mary's miraculous pregnancy. This was a surprising appearance. It was unusual circumstances. And yes, it was a surprise, but no, it wasn't unexpected. It had been written about through prophets over centuries. And it was written about 700 years before by a prophet with the name Zechariah. Now, those of you who are listening carefully will notice we've just been talking about a guy called Zechariah. I don't want to confuse you. These are two very different guys living 700 years apart. Um, the prophet Zechariah uh, has, a, has a book in the Old Testament. Don't worry about finding it now. We've got the verse coming up on the screen from chapter 9. And it's verse 9. He says, See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. Now, Zechariah, this prophet at the time of writing, was actually, along with his people at the time, they were in desperate need of a king to come and rescue them from a Syrian invasion. And that's initially, I think, what he was writing about. And that salvation did come. But even more significantly, now we can see that he was writing about Jesus. He was prophesying about Jesus, who would be that, the Messiah, who would be that king to come. And Jesus, we read about later in his life, right towards the end of his life, did ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling that prophecy. And on that journey, he was going to die on the cross, which is something he did as a sacrifice to bring us all back into relationship with God, to make us able to actually be friends with God. So Jesus is the coming king, and he came 2,000 years ago. And at this time, the Jews have been going through a very hard time. They've been through exile. They were waiting. They've been persecuted. They were waiting for a Messiah to save them. And Jesus, I think it's fair to say, perhaps wasn't the king uh, maybe that everyone expected. He rode a humble donkey, not a show horse. And even today, all those years later, we celebrate Jesus' birth. We make a huge thing of it because it was a huge thing that the Son of God would come to this earth. Jesus came to show us what God is like because Jesus, fully God, made himself fully a man so that we could see what God was like. He came to save us. And when he came, he didn't choose a comfortable, wealthy lifestyle for himself. Jesus experienced real poverty and real hardship. In 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, 
We read, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So if uh, you're here today, and for you, the thought of Christmas is crippling you with fear because you don't have enough money. If you're facing unemployment or homelessness, if you live in one of the 1,078 unique households who've had to use the Wandsworth Food Bank in the last year, then take some comfort from this. Jesus knows how you feel. He's been there. If you're one of the estimated 35 million refugees being displaced from Syria and the Middle East, actually, Jesus was a refugee. Quite soon after his birth, his dad, Joseph, was warned in a dream to, to get out and flee and, and uh, run for refuge in Egypt because the evil King Herod had this plan just to try and kill Jesus. And all throughout Jesus' life, he was forced to wander from place to place. He was king of a world that was quite hostile to him. He said himself, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He knows poverty. He knows hardship. So he's the coming king. He came 2,000 years ago. Secondly, he's the coming king, and one day he's going to return. He's going to come back. And Advent is actually in many ways a time for us to look forward to his coming again in glory. So this is good news for you. If you're kind of despairing a bit at the moment, looking at the world news, if you're feeling that sort of sense of, of lament that I think many of us as a nation are going through at the moment, trying to figure out what Brexit means, watching the news and seeing the situation in Aleppo, in Iraq, the fears we feel of what Donald Trump's legacy might become. The world isn't plain sailing. It's difficult. There's hard stuff going on. If you're struggling with that, be comforted in this reminder that Jesus has promised that he will come again. He's not forgotten us. And that means one day things that are just not right will be put right where people have been put down, where they've been discriminated against, where they've been persecuted, these things will be put right by Jesus when he comes again. And we are waiting for that day. Some of us here today are waiting on unanswered prayer. That can be extremely difficult. There will be stuff we just don't understand or get the answers to in this life. That can be very hard to swallow. But he is the coming king. And one day, as we read about in Revelation chapter 21, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. 
So Jesus is the coming king, and he came in his birth 2,000 years ago. He's the coming king, and he's coming again one day. In the meantime, Jesus is the coming king, and he wants to come to us today. Because we live between these two uh, incredible points of, of, of history, where Jesus was born, and then in the future when he will come again. In the meantime, he is the coming king. That prophecy we read from Zechariah, it, I love the way it's written, see your coming king comes to you. It's that present continuous tense, I think. Is that right? It sounds good. He wants to come into our lives this Christmas if we will let him. Because God is a gentleman. He won't force himself on you. He's a gentleman. Do invite him in. Let's open up our hearts to the coming king. I say that to you. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, open up your hearts again this Christmas to the coming king. If you're just visiting, if, you're, if you feel way off, if you're just exploring, why not give prayer a go this Christmas? You may have no idea what I'm talking about. It sounds very weird. I want to say it's very simple. Give prayer a go. Start to chat to God and see what happens. Maybe you're thinking that God feels very distant from you at the moment. I know certainly I've felt like that at times. And a few years ago, I read a book by the author John Ortberg, and the book is called God is Closer Than You Think. And in that, he says one sentence that has stuck with me over many years. And the sentence is this, God is never more than a thought away. That means that we can actively choose to involve God in our lives, in our day, as we go about our day-to-day. We can just, using our minds, stop and think of him, invite him in, pray that ancient prayer, come, Lord Jesus. And as we get into the practice of that, Uh, I believe incredible things can happen. Perhaps God is closer than you think to you. And he comes to us by the Holy Spirit. that's, That's his gift to us. And that often involves us waiting on him. In the book of Psalms, chapter 27 and verse 14, it says, Wait for the Lord. Be brave and courageous and wait for the Lord. That's another verse that I read uh, many years ago and it's just stayed with me because when I first read it, I thought that's, that's such a contradiction in terms. We think of waiting on God being such a passive thing, quite a weak thing. But here we see it's sandwiched uh, as an instruction either, either side of this summons to be brave and be courageous. And as a church this year, we're looking at our, our vision is to be, be courageous. And we're thinking, what does it mean to be courageous in different circumstances? Let's courageously wait on God. Because I believe it does take great courage to wait. Waiting is not a passive thing. We have to almost posture ourselves in the right way to, to let him in. 
the author Oswald Chambers wrote this. To be silent unto God does not mean drifting into mere feeling or sinking into revere, but deliberately getting into the center of things and focusing on God. When you've been brought into relationship with God through the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ and are concentrating on him, you will experience wonderful times of communion. As you wait only upon God, concentrating on the glorious outlines of his salvation, there will come into you the sleeping peace of God, the certainty that you are in the place where God is doing all in accordance with his will. The peace our Savior gives us is the deepest thing a human personality can experience. It is almighty. It is a peace that passes all understanding. And I wonder if, we, uh, if we're hungry for some of that peace in our lives this Christmas. Did you know that traditionally the Advent season was a time uh, for fasting? Fasting being this sort of uh, Christian practice where you would deny yourself something physical uh, with the hope that that will help you to focus on, on the spiritual. I think we've sort of shifted that over the years and we t- often talk about fasting in the season of Lent in the run-up to Easter, which is fantastic. But I just wonder whether for you there's something that you would like to consider fasting for the next four weeks to help you to receive the coming King. Maybe for a few of us that video of the chocolate cake spoke to you in some way. Maybe there's a temptation in your life that you just need to run away from and stop dabbling with. Because we're waiting eagerly for Christmas, aren't we? And, uh, and we can get, get caught up in the hype. Black Friday weekend is uh, drawing to a close, I think, at some point today, possibly. Maybe it will go on for longer where we're just going crazy. I've seen some videos where people are going crazy for Black Friday deals. Um, this is a point that's often made at this time of year, but I'm going to make it anyway. Uh, I think it's important. In the busyness of the next four weeks, let's not forget that we're waiting for the coming King. Jesus is the coming King, and he came 2,000 years ago. Jesus is the coming King, and he will come again. Jesus is the coming King, and he wants to come to us today, even now. Shall we stand together? Just feel this might be a good moment uh, as we move back into a time of worship. We'll sing. Uh, There'll be prayer, if you would like prayer. Perhaps just before we do that, why don't we just uh, choose to actively wait on him. You might want to close your eyes to say that you're not distracted. You might want to hold out your hands as if you're ready to receive a gift. And I'll pray for us and then over to Quinn.
Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the coming king. We thank you for your birth. We thank you for coming to us to show us what God is like. Bring us back to him. We thank you that you're the coming king and you will return. And we thank you so much that you want to come to us even now, even today. We welcome you by your Holy Spirit. Amen.